Good morning. I've said that like 12 times, but just keep saying it back. Um, I just feel like I have to start that way. It's, I'm a creature of habit. I eat the same thing at all the restaurants, and I start all the messages the same way, and it'll be fine. But, um, man, this morning, I'm so excited to be in Luke 2. I love Luke 2. I know that uh, I grew up hearing Luke 2 over and over again. If you've ever, like, even watched Charlie Brown, Luke 2 is in there. Uh, I found that out the hard way because I'm a teacher, and I played it for my class, and I thought I was going to lose my job, but it's whatever. Um, but, um, man, just so excited about this, this word and the series we've been in, um, God with us. That's the point of it this morning, isn't it? Like, if nothing else happens this morning, like, if we could just grab that, that, that this season is about something greater than all the celebrating. It's about this truth that God is with us, that we have an ability and access to God today that, man, 2,000 years ago, people were starving for, that we are so blessed to be living in these moments where where Jesus will meet with us and we have access to the Father through him. And I, and I love that. See, in, in reality, that's what God wants for us. Everybody, right? Like when God created man in the garden, he created man to be with God. Like you read uh, the very few chapters of Genesis where we hadn't screwed things up and we see really quickly that, that God created man to be with him, that he allowed man into his space and we could walk with God and talk with God and see God, which is amazing that, that God would meet with them every day in, in the cool of the day around the same time. And he would, he would show them things that he'd made. And they just had this amazing relationship with God. And then, you know, we did our thing. Um, and we decided that creation was greater than the creator. And we chose something lesser than God. And we said, this is the thing that we want. Now, what's crazy is we, we still do that, right? Like all over the map. You can be like, that's not fair. I didn't do that. I wasn't there. But like how often do we choose something less than God over and over and over and over again and make that the most valuable thing in our life when really he's the valuable thing? And that's the essence of sin, isn't it? It doesn't matter if it's an apple. It doesn't matter if it's adultery. Right? Like, like sin is just I'm choosing something less than God and I'm making that the important thing in my life. We've all validated that decision over and over and over and over again. But like about the moment we validated the decision, God came in with a promise. Right? Like Genesis 3, we fell. Genesis 3, God said, hey, I got, I got something for that. I'm going to send somebody. Right? Like just very early on, I'm sending somebody the seed, and he's going to crush the serpent's head. He's going to break his fangs. He's going to deal the death blow because I'm making a way. That you can come back. And the whole rest of the next like couple thousand years was just God unfolding this story of I'm sending this seed. I'm sending this person to come and restore relationship. And we see that God made ways that people in, in those days could come and they could trust in him. But, but it was all pushing towards this moment, this moment in Luke 2, where, where God would come. And God would again like set up this space that we could be with God, he could restore relationship. And that's the whole essence of Christmas. Like I think I said earlier, like when we we celebrate the cradle in this moment, but as we were thinking about the cradle, Jesus was already thinking about the cross. So this morning, we're going to continue just to talk about that, this this promise that we find in Jesus and Luke 2. Um, Luke, or the the gospel of Luke, or the gospel, this narrative story of Jesus' life is told by um, Luke is a uh, historical account of 
what Jesus has done is his coming and, and his death and his resurrection and his return. Like uh, it's this historical narrative of events that really did happen. And I, and I love that. This is not some fairy tale, something that was written hundreds of years after uh, the death of Jesus, but just a few years after the death of Jesus, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they were pinning these things down on paper for us. To, and, and, and these guys were eyewitnesses, or at least like they, they had spoken to an eyewitness about these things. Luke, he was not a, a disciple, um, but, but he was in contact with the disciple. And he maybe wasn't there, obviously, when, when Jesus was born, right? Like, he had to be pretty old. Um, but he would have known Jesus' mother. And he, he would have got these accounts from her. And there's some, some enormous credibility in this. And I think it's amazing um, that we have this account today. Um, so we step into Luke 2, and the angel's already come, and he's announced that Mary's going to have this baby, and we've seen some other amazing things. And Luke 2 is kind of the meat of it. It's the Christmas story, right? Like Matthew skips the birth altogether, and we have the announcement to Joseph, and then we have even maybe up to two years after the fact when the wise men came, like we talked about last week. And Mark ignores the birth altogether. He just gets into the gospel. And then um, Luke is, is what we know is the Christmas story, right? Like that we've read this a million times. We've heard this a million times. Like this is the birth of Jesus and the shepherds came. That's the Christmas story that's in every play we've ever probably been around and then um, John does this amazing thing. He talks about Jesus before Bethlehem. He starts out in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh. Um, but man, this Luke 2, um, so familiar, um, but I'm just praying this morning that God would just speak something that maybe we've never heard before. It says in 2, in, in those days... <coughs> In the days of Jesus' birth or around Jesus' birth, a decree or a law. Take a drink of water and see if I can talk. <laughs> a decree or a law, some uh, spoken word uh, that, that had legal authority. This decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar Augustus is a historical character. You can Wikipedia him later if you want. Um, Caesar Augustus was the first emperor of Rome. Unified Rome, this is, this is the guy. He ruled from, I think, 27 B.C. to 14 A.D., so, so quite a span. And, and during the time of his reign, it's known as a time of peace over Rome. They had these wars of conquest along their borders, but the empire of Rome didn't have any wars or skirmishes during his reign. And uh, I love that God just dropped him into the story of Jesus today. And I think it's so important when God drops in these historical characters that we at least figure out who they are because here's the reality. God is rooting this story in reality for us today. We've heard it so many times, like, right? We don't, we don't even think about it. It's just like, oh, it's, you know, Jesus came, cool, whatever. Cradle, baby, angels. We know the story. But this is like a real thing that really did happen. And, and, and God's putting these characters in here because he's like, you can go look it up. You can find the places. You can find the people, like, this really did happen. And we live in a society that would say, nah, maybe it didn't, right? But here's the truth, man. These people that would have been reading this 2,000 years ago, they, they knew these places and they knew these people. And it wouldn't have taken 2,000 years for us to figure out some inaccuracies. So God rounds it with these names. He says, in the days the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire 
Roman Empire, should be registered. They were all going to go be um, registered. They were going to be counted. He's going to figure out how many citizens were in the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire is huge. If you've never looked it up on a map, just Google that later. It's not like, you know, the state of Tennessee. It's like uh, basically this half of Europe over here kind of towards Russia, towards Germany, I think is where it rounds out. And it comes down through Israel and then even captures some, uh, um, some of Africa and Turkey's kind of in there too. So it's this, it's this giant uh, number of people, and the emperor is like, hey, we need to figure out how many people we have. The reason for this is because the emperor wants to tax these people, right? Like taxes, it's been a thing, right? So it's not a, not a new idea. Um, he needs to tax these people, and if you're going to tax people, it's a pretty good idea to know how many people you need to tax. So um, he, he sends out this law, hey, we're going to tax some people. Uh, so we need to count some people. And it says, in two, the first registration, one of many registrations, took place while Quirinius, that's a weird name, uh, was governing Syria. Now, Syria uh, is this northern area, and it includes, you can look it up on a map today, it still exists, uh, northern area kind of right above Israel, uh, but it includes the region of Israel uh, in that. It's not just the state that we would think of today or the country we would think of today. It's kind of a bigger area. And what we see is that um, this area of Judea, which used to be under the rule of Herod, uh, had been added to, to Syria. Um, now, you're like, well, why does, why does that matter? Again, it's a real place with real people. You can look it up on a map. But the second reason for that is we learned last week that when Jesus was born, uh, that Herod, King Herod the Great, was actually in charge of the area that Jesus was in, right? So in, in Matthew, you have Herod is in charge, and Luke, you have the, the Quirinius is in charge. And you look at that, and you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. How can both men be in charge? You have Herod the Great, who um, died about 4 B.C., and if you look up Quirinius's actual govern, governing ship of Syria, that started about 680. So the times don't even overlap. And you're like, well, why does any of that matter? Because I'm not asking us today to be blind sheep that follow some word because, you know, like it says that I'm asking us to use our brains today because God says love, us with, love him with your whole heart, soul, mind, right, and, and strength. And if you can't love him with your mind, then then you got to shut that off, then there's probably an issue. So I, I get maybe today if we Googled this, we'd be like, hey, there's an issue here. Uh, and, and it seems, right, like on paper that there maybe is an issue here. I've talked about this before and probably I think every year. I just don't want to ignore it. Because Quirinius, governor, Syria, 6 AD. Herod, 4 BC. There's like a nine-year gap. I don't know. I'm not good at math, but like a pretty good gap in there of his death and his reign. So you're like, what, what's going on here? And then really, it's pretty simple, but maybe something that we overlook a whole lot of times. Uh, Quirinius was this Roman um, who was an aristocrat, like a rich Roman guy who had ascended to power at 6 AD over this area of Syria. Herod the Great was a, a Roman prefect king. He'd been set up by the Roman government to rule over this area of Judea, and he did that till his death, and then his kids took over, and eventually that was ceded to, to Quirinius. And it looks like there's probably an issue, because if Jesus was born and had been about two years old when Herod died at 4 BC, then how was he not born yet at 6 AD, right? Like, so there's, like a, there's an issue here, but there's not an issue here. First of all, 
the word governor um, in, in this context, if you look um, at the Hebrew, um, it doesn't even mean governor. It just means that there's some seat of power, that he has some kind of position. And the position that he probably has, since it was mentioned, is that he's presiding over this first census. Luke made a point to say that it was the first census, which means it was the first of many of the census, that they, they would have been counted multiple times. People are born, right? The Romans did a census, I think, about every 14 years eventually. But that, that people are born and people die, and we need to keep up with a current tax system of how many people are going to be born. So, one, this is the first census. Two, Quirinius is not governor of Syria, but he's in a lesser role where he's in charge of a census, and this is the census that he's talking about. And you're like, well, how do you know that? Well, A, because the word. B, because Luke was writing this book to a people that were there when these things would have happened. Right? Like, this wasn't written... 400 years after the death of Jesus, like some of these people would have been there for the first census. And if there was an actual discrepancy in the word of God, then we would have edited it out probably by now, right? Like the whole book of Luke may have been discounted or, or they, would have, they would have at least taken that little section out. Luke has such great detail in his writings and he's, he's been wrong nowhere else. And yet here we, we like look at it and we're like, oh, 2,000 years later, I'm probably smarter than everybody else who's ever existed. And I found an error in the word of God. Um, well, 2,000 years later, let's just put it out there. We're probably not the smartest people that have existed in the past 2,000 years. These people, um, when he was writing this, wanted to get rid of the name of Jesus, right? He was in a culture where if we can just prove that Jesus is not who he says he is, we can get done with this thing and we can go back to Judaism. And if there was an actual issue here, then we would have already figured it out sometime before right now. So the the reality of it is Quirinius is presiding over this census. Luke is correctly recording this this truth that he's this is the first census, the one Quirinius was in charge of before Quirinius came to power. And that would have pinpointed a spot, a date for these people as they were reading it for the very first time. Man, I remember that. I was there for that census. I, I went to that census. I was recorded at that census. That is amazing. I remember that. You're saying that that was the time when Jesus was born? This is not a fairy tale. And God's like, I'm not afraid to put dates on paper. I'm not afraid to put names on paper. Like, go look it up. God's not afraid we're going to find some inaccuracy with God, and then we just won't believe in him anymore, and then he'll stop existing, because that's not how it works. This is accurate, and if it wasn't, we would have taken the names out. This is Quirinius was governing Syria. This is in three. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own house now to his own town now this is not like i'm going to go to the town hall in the place that i live but it's the the town of my family's birth i have to go back to where my family is from this origin place like maybe some of you guys know that because you were born somewhere and then you moved somewhere else and and you would relate to this really well and that's kind of what's happened with joseph's family they they were from the city of david which is bethlehem and they had moved to nazareth and the census came, and he's like, hey, you've got to go back to the, the place of your ancestral family. You have to go back to where you're from, and you have to be recorded there. And this sets up the story that we're stepping into this morning. It says, so everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. For, it says, and Joseph, we've heard that name before, um, also went up to, from, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee. Now, Nazareth is a small town kind of in the upper region of Israel, which is Galilee. Uh, Israel's divided into three places. There's southern 
Israel, which is Judea, and then the middle, which is Samaria, and, and then um, the top region is Galilee. And Nazareth is this town kind of up towards the top of the top of <laughs> Israel, and it's a little insignificant place with around 400 people, population, um, probably like had a stop sign and a house, and that was about it. Like that was Nazareth, and this is where they're coming from, and this is where Joseph is. And it says they had to travel to Judea, which is the lower area of Israel, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, another little small city just about 10 or 11 miles from the capital city, Jerusalem. Um, And they had to travel here. It says because he was of the house of the family line of David, and he had to go and be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. So here's the story, right? Here's Joseph and Mary, and they're in the town of Nazareth, and they're in the upper area of Israel, Galilee, and they have to travel to be registered because some guy in some city, right, decided they had to do that. They had to travel to be registered all the way down to to Bethlehem, which was about 70 miles away, like in a straight line, but probably more accurately, like 90 miles away, the route they would have taken. Uh, They wouldn't have went straight through Samaria, but around and um, anyway, this, this lady, Mary, is very pregnant. We're going to see that when she rolls up into the town, that she's nearing the end of her, her pregnancy. And she's got to travel these 90 miles with the guy that she's engaged to, still not married, but in this culture it would have been an arranged marriage. The dowry's already paid. Legally, on paper, they're married, and she's going to take his name, so she's got to go be registered with him. And here's the journey, right? This is the beginnings of the birth of Jesus. Now think about that. If that was your story today, like you don't get in a plane, you don't get on a train, you don't get in a car, you don't even, you know, like the donkey's not even mentioned, so sorry if that's in your nativity scene, like who knows, but doesn't say anything about it. Um, You got to walk 90 miles in the final week and a half probably of your pregnancy to a city that you don't really know anything about, where you don't have people at, where you don't know the social structure of, that you don't have a support system in. you got to leave the, the comfort of home where you thought you were going to have that baby and you thought, like, these are the people that are going to be here and they're going to help me through this and they're going to do the thing and, and, and they know what's going on. i got to leave all those people. i got to leave my family because they're not from, right, like Mary's family's not from Bethlehem. i got to leave my family and i got to go be registered with, with Joseph. And I'm super pregnant. That's probably not the news you wanted to get right there at the end, right, of your pregnancy. Oh, yeah, I'm super pregnant. You're going to ask me to walk 90 miles. Like, there was probably some complaining in, in this, right? Like, just these are real people, right? There's probably some, this is annoying happening in, in this. Maybe even some, God, what in the world are you thinking in this, Right? Because she knows this is the Son of God. And he knows this is the Son of God. But it seems maybe like God forgot, right? Like this is the Son of God. Because that's not what you want to do when you're nine months pregnant is walk 90 miles down to a city to be registered that you know nothing about, that you don't know the, the medical structure of, that you, you don't have any family support in. That's not what you want to do. Not the news you wanted to get, not the plan you wanted to go on. It seems like this is like the craziest plan of God ever, right? Like, 
not only did you pick an insignificant girl that nobody would have ever heard of aside from Jesus and a man that nobody would ever heard of aside from Jesus to be the parents of your son, now you're going to walk the parents of your son 90 miles right there at the end of the pregnancy, and it's dangerous, and it's weird, and it's unexpected. It's not the news you wanted, and you're like, how, God, is this your plan? And I can relate to that because I've been in those places of like, how, God, is this your plan? Anybody else like ever been like, no, this doesn't make any sense. This doesn't seem to be the news that I wanted. This, this is not the direction that I had picked out. This is not the place that I thought I was going. Like, this is, this is, how is this your plan? But we see here that it very obviously is, in fact, his plan. Right, like everything on paper says there's no way in the world this is your plan. But the the reality of it is that the paper points to the fact that there's no way around it. This is God's plan. There's no way this is not the plan of God, right? Like God didn't just get surprised. Oh, yeah, uh, Caesar, I didn't know know he was going to do that. I would have just stalled the pregnancy maybe two months or maybe he could have come early. Like this is obviously the plan of God. And what does that speak to us? It's like, The reality today is it doesn't matter what the situation looks like. You may be standing today right in the middle of where God would have you to be. See, our circumstances a lot of times tell us like, hey, this doesn't make any sense. This is crazy. We're in freak out mode. We're like, I don't know how this could be your plan. But the reality of it is it's all his plan. Like if you believe that God is a sovereign God and that nothing can happen outside of the will of God, then it doesn't matter what the situation looks like. It doesn't matter how crazy it looks. The the truth today is that we're smack dab right where we are, where God would have us to be. And I just want to say that today because I know for some of us, like it feels like everything's falling apart and we got the news we didn't want to get today or yesterday or a week ago or a month ago and, and we're sitting today and I don't really know where you are, God. But it doesn't really disqualify this moment from being God's plan, does it? And Jesus wasn't even exempt from a little bit of crazy, right? But the reality today is God has a plan. And he's doing something, and that's what the that's what the story speaks to. Like, this is the weirdest thing that I could think of. If I was writing, like, this is how the Son of God is going to be born, it wouldn't have started out with a ninety-mile walk. But God's still doing something, even in the even in the ninety-mile walk. So it says, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family on a David to be registered along with Mary who was engaged to him and was pregnant. And this is in six while they were there. Um, doesn't say how long they were there, but odds are like about the time they rolled up into the city, the time came for her to give birth. This is not the news you want. Like when you roll up into the new town, Bethlehem, like Mary tugs on the jacket. Hey, guess what? The baby's coming, right? Like that's already sure. It's not, it's not but the Bible writes it so calmly, right? <coughs> like if you've ever seen it on TV, it's, it's never this calm. Maybe some of you have seen it in person. I've not been there. But, um, but, but it's, it's, it's apparently crazy from everything I've ever seen. The Bible's just so calm. It's like, and then the, the baby was coming. Time came for her to give birth. Can you imagine that? I just walked 90 miles. It probably took me somewhere between four days and a week and a half to get there with my pregnant wife. We get in the city. She tugs on the jacket, and she's like, hey, guess what? Uh, the baby's coming. Not right now. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. It's coming right now. I'm pretty sure. I've never done this before, but I'm pretty sure the baby's coming right now. Like, there's probably a little bit of freak out happening in this moment because they just got here. They just rolled up into town. 
And the Bible just writes it so calm. It says, then she gave birth to her firstborn son, like, right, like, again, just one little half of a verse there, just a couple words, made it seem so calm, doesn't give the amount of labor or the weight of the baby or any of that stuff, right? Like, it's just like, eh, and the baby came. It's no big deal. I guarantee you there was some screaming that happened in there. We just didn't record that. And it says, then she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a, in a feeding trough because there was no room for them in the inn. Like, there's just, that's all verse 7. And we've heard it like a million times, so it's not even like shocking. Like, we don't even think about it. Like, oh yeah, Mary, Mary had a baby, and then she wrapped him up, and it was cute, and they put him in the little cloth, and they just laid him down in the feeding trough. Um, and then uh, the, the, the innkeeper was like, nope, no rooms. And like, none of that is shocking to any of us. How is none of that shocking to any of us? Like, if that was somebody come to church this morning and they're like, hey, I just want you to know, I had my baby yesterday and, and we didn't have a hospital room. We couldn't get there. So we just went up to the barn and just like, there was a baby. And we just wrapped it up in whatever we had. And we just laid him down in the animal feeding trough. We would be like, that is the most disgusting thing I have ever heard. But it's baby Jesus. So we're just like, ah, whatever. You know, I've heard it a million times. It's in Charlie Brown. It's not that big of a deal. But like, isn't it kind of a big deal? And we get like one whole verse in the, in the Bible that's like, here's the birth of Jesus. It's like, man, that's, that probably took a little more time than that. But, you know, whatever, just, just throw it in there because it's just it's baby Jesus. And that's what we expect because we've all got the manger scenes and the little blow molds out in the yard. And we know, like, right? But there's like some weird stuff that's happening off page. Right? Because they get up into the town. And apparently they haven't been there long because they don't have anywhere to stay. Like Joseph is in trouble in this scene because he didn't call ahead and make reservations at the hotel, right? The residents in Bethlehem didn't, right? Like that's not a, he didn't do that. So she like tugs on the coat. She's like, hey, uh, baby's coming. And he's like, we just got here. Like we just walked into town. We don't we don't have anywhere to stay at. We've not went around and seen if there's a place. So they, they go to probably the only inn because it didn't say there was no room in the inns, right? Or the massive hotel complexes. Like Bethlehem is a small city. There's not much happening in Bethlehem. And it took them longer than everybody else probably that was coming to be registered and counted. They weren't the only family who had ancestry probably from Bethlehem. And he's with a pregnant lady, and it took them probably closer to a week and a half to make the journey. They were really far away to begin with. And they get there, and they go to the inn. But here's the problem. Everybody else has already beat him to the inn. So they get to the inn, and he's like, hey, knock, knock, knock. Hey, man, um, we, we need a room. And he's like, I, uh, they're booked. I don't have any rooms. Can we sleep on the, in the kitchen? No, <laughs> somebody's already sleeping in the kitchen. Can we sleep in the, you know, like you go through the list of all the possible options because it wasn't like, oh, okay, cool, we'll go to the next hotel. And he like went through like, well, we got to have somewhere to, to sleep. We, we got to have somewhere to have this baby. But there were like no options at the end. So he has to figure out something, right? Because if not, this is going to be like the, the best recorded like roadside pregnancy ever in the, in the history of the world. It's like everybody knows this one. Um, so apparently he finds somewhere where angels, or not angels, that'd be awesome, right? Where animals uh, sleep for her to have this baby. 
Now, we think, right, like the little um, nice manger scene, like with the moss on the roof and the angel, like above it. This is probably more accurately like a hole in the side of a, a cliff, a face of rock where animals would go in to get out of the rain, eat, sleep. But if that's the option, that's the option. So they go into this place, and she, through however long it takes, has this baby. First-time parents, no family structure around to, to do this. They just they do it because it's coming either way. Have the baby, take the baby, and they wrap it with what they got. And they have to have it be somewhere. So they lay it down in a feeding trough. Now, I don't know how often you're around animals, but they don't really chew with their mouths closed, and you can get that image. Um, So just this place where animals eat, and they lay the Son of God. And this is like the story that, that Jesus was born into. And we're just like, eh, no big deal. It's... You know, like we, we know the manger scene. But like, think about that. I have a barn. I mean, if anybody's having a baby, you come up there. Um, like nobody wants to do that. Right? Like if that was, that's not anybody's plan probably. Let's at least go with that. I want my kid to be born in the, the grossest possible situation. That's, you know, because animals eat and they, the other end of that, um, And that's all taking place in this space. It's dirty. It's not pleasant. Probably doesn't smell the best. And this is the place where Jesus, the Son of God, was born into. And see, what's crazy about that is I think every time I've ever seen a manger scene, it looks like the like happiest, most sterile, most amazing place, right? Like, like it's a little little nice uh, wood barn structure. This little cute little crib looking thing, and like well padded, right? Like you know, like Jesus is sleeping on a cloud, like it's a Serta crib. Like that's <laughs> you got these very clean looking shepherd guys and some super happy parents. Mary's already up, you know, like <laughs> doing the thing. Joseph's hands work fine now. That was, was talking about that. Okay. Uh, it's no big deal. Uh, but like every time we see it, right? Like everybody's clean. Everybody's sterile. Everybody's looking happy. Every, everything seems to be so together. But really, like the story of the birth of Jesus was like anything but that. Like nothing was together. Like, it starts out not together. Hey, you're not married, but you're pregnant. Congratulations. Now, people are judgmental now, but, like, let's go to the most religious society on the planet and then tell that story. Unwed pregnancy. Here's Joseph who has to choose, like, 
do I want to be part of this or do I want to get out of here? Because if I attach myself to this, they're going to attach my sin to this. They're going to think that I had something to do with this. So, so he chooses to be in that. And then they get through all of that stuff and we're kind of doing something. And then right before you're going to have the baby, you get the announcement. Hey, let's go on a 90 mile walk. What? Like what, God? Like what, what, is, what is happening, right? Like, this is good enough. Everybody's already talking about me. Why do I have to go 90 miles to have this baby? But they go. Leave what they thought the situation was going to be into some unknown, probably scary situation. And they, they go the 90-mile journey. And you roll up into Bethlehem. And before they can even find a room, God's like, all right, here he comes. go to the inn and you're like surely God called ahead right like surely there is a room they get there and God did not make reservations not going to be born inside not going to be born in the inn not going to like that would have at least been acceptable situation right like it's cleaner than the barn he's like that's not the plan no room in the end. Can you, can you imagine hearing that, like rolling up to that, and you're like, I'm about to have this baby, and you're doing the breathing, and all the stuff's going on, and the innkeeper's like, no, there's nothing here. Seriously, God? Because it's compounding, right? Like, unwed pregnancy, 90-mile walk, nowhere to have a baby. And Joseph's like, well, it looks like that cave or this field. What do you think? Seriously, God? That's my options out here in the field or in the cave? Do I go in the cave? She has the baby. Nobody had a baby shower, so there was no onesies. Just wrap up what you got. And the only option is a feeding trough. I guess we can put him in there. A nasty place where animals eat. I wouldn't go lay down in the one at the barn. But God's plan was that his son would lay in the one at that barn. And you like look at all that, and, and that doesn't match up with our manger scene, does it? See, the headline of the manger scene is Jesus stepped into a perfectly put together situation that's so sterile and happy, and everybody is so pleased to be there. And what's crazy about that is I can't relate to that. We put it in our yard, and we put it on our tables, and we put it in our plays, but I can't, I can't relate to any of that. I, I sit there, and I'm like, no, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, I, I, can't, I can't relate to any of that. But that's like what we put out there, right? Everything was great at the manger. Everything was together at the manger. Everything was happy at the manger. Everything makes sense at the manger. And the truth of it is, like, none of that is true. 
Actually, nothing makes sense at the manger. I don't know how happy people were to be at the manger. I don't know that. The, the, the manger was a mess. Like that was, that was filth and gross and it was, it, was, it was not sterile and it was not perfect and it was not all together. It was not the plan. But I can relate to it. I can relate to not the plan. I can relate to not sterile and not good. I can relate to everything is not always happy. I can relate to that. I, I can get that. And I think that's why God maybe chose to send his son in that way. See, God could have planned for the birth of Jesus to happen in any way that he wanted, right? Like, he, he's God. He, he could have made reservations at the inn. He could have made reservations at the temple. He could have made reservations at the palace. He could have been born into the house of Caesar Augustus. He could have been some, some religious leader that was born in a temple. But God's like, that's not the way we're going to do it. We're, we're going we're gonna to come into the manger, the mess of the manger. I'm going to put my majesty in the mess of the manger. That's what I'm doing here at Christmas is I'm putting majesty in the mess of the manger. Because you know what? That's where the people are. If I said to you today, how many of you, everything is perfect in your life? Like if you raised your hand, I would automatically think you were a liar. Because it's not reality. You know, Genesis 1 and 2, they were looking pretty good. And we screwed it up in 3. And since then, we've been in, in, in the mess. And nothing really is sterile, right? Like, we come in church and we're like, oh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. This week's horrible. I'm not going to tell you that. But, but this week was the worst. And I'm dealing with anxiety today and depression today and fear today. And I'm, and I'm dealing with sin today and shame today and guilt today. And I'm dealing with death today and sickness today and sadness today and sorrow today. I'm dealing with broken home today. I'm dealing with all the things. But I'm at church. And the manger says that we're supposed to be sterile here. So I'm good. How are you? And inside we know like it's not true. But we have somehow talked ourselves into around this little blow mold manger scene. The only thing Jesus is willing to step into is everything's together. So we just say, ah, it's fine. Or everything makes sense. It's fine. Everything is sterile. Oh, it's fine. Everything is great and happy here. Oh, it's fine. Because we've talked ourselves into the headline of if it doesn't make sense, then God's probably not in it. If it doesn't look like the plan that I think it should be, then God's probably not doing it. And I don't know who flipped the script on this story. I don't know, I don't know who was like, yeah, just, just make all the manger scenes out of white. Like the things people put in their yard, it's all white and glowy. Yeah, it's so clean. Because God's script was, no, it's a mess. And I wanted it that way. No, it's a, it's a mess. I, I sent my son into a mess. I put majesty in the mess of the manger. That's, that's the whole story of what I'm doing in this place. And the reason for that is, like, I think we, we've talked about it enough. Like, God came to be with us, right? 
God came to be with us. Not when everything's okay and perfect and sterile and good, but God came to be with us in the mess. He came to be with us in in the worst moments of our life. He came to be with us like in in the hardest hurts. He came to be with us when nothing made sense. He came to be with us when we were like, God, where are you at and what are you doing? He came to be with us in those moments. And and somehow we've talked ourselves into like we, we can't ever be honest about those feelings. We can't ever express those things because if we do, God may not do what God's supposed to do. Because somewhere along the line, we've talked ourselves into God's afraid of a little bit of sin or a little bit of shame or a little bit of guilt or a little bit of hurt or a little bit of heartache or God's, God's afraid of a little bit of sadness. God's afraid of our questions somehow. God's, God's somehow afraid of us to be like, hey, where are you at? And none of that's true. See, I, I can relate to the mess because uh, I did my, my life, it's not, it's not like probably on paper, the, the worst that you could think of, but I just want you to know internally, like everything's not okay with me all the time. And I may say, oh, great, yeah, I'm, I'm great, but, but maybe inside that's not it that day. God's okay with that? Because the headline of the manger is when everything's not okay, Jesus is still God with us. When everything doesn't make sense, Jesus is still God with us. When we're in the middle of our hurt, God is still with us. Jesus still came to be God with us. I mean, it's so important for you to know because for some of you, I I know, like I've heard, like you're dealing with something crazy right now in your life. Some of you, like you're, you're on the other side of death. You've had somebody that's left you this year and the season is so hard. I want you to know God, he's, he's not afraid to sit with you in this moment. God, it hurts for him to say, I'm right here. God, I'm broken. I'm right for some of you you have news like somebody in your family has has some sickness and and for you you're like man it's what what worst time what worst time maybe sitting in the emergency room or sitting in the hospital room and I I want you to know that, that God didn't come to just be God with you at church when you can fake it God come to be God with you in the emergency room and God with you in the hospital room. Some of you, you're so lonely, right? Like this season, it's, it's great for some people, but it's not great for everybody. Let's just get that off our chest today. And when you lay down, what you, what you think about is, man, all this stuff that everybody else is doing that you're just not doing. And I want you to know when you're laying in bed at night, God came to be God with you in that moment. He'll get right in that space with you. God came to be God with you in, in in the very worst situations, in the very worst days. He didn't come just when everything's okay or we can fake it. God came to be God with you in the, my marriage is falling apart and my home is broken. He came to be God with you in that. 
God came to be God with you in, in, in the deepest sorrow and in, in that pit that's in you that nobody knows about. He came to be God with you in that moment. He didn't just came to be God with you when everything's sterile and okay. He wants to be in every moment, every situation of every single day. He wants to be in the nothing makes sense here today, God. He wants to be in the what in the world are you doing, God? He wants to be involved and invited into every one of those moments. He's not afraid of your questions today and he's not afraid of your sorrow today and your hurt today. He's not afraid of us being real people with real feelings. The manger says everything has to be sterile, but God says that's not true today. I come to be majesty in the middle of your mess. I come to be majesty in in the situations that don't make sense. I came to be this peace that surpasses all understanding. When everything seems to be falling apart, you can still lay down and you can hurt, but you can trust that I'm there with you in the hurt. And we count God far too short so many times. Like he's going to get mad if we say, God, I'm just, I'm hurting right now. Like he's going to leave us if we're like, it doesn't make sense right now. I mean, he was born into that, right? Because he wasn't afraid of that. Jesus stepped down into a mess because he's not afraid of your mess. Maybe you made it, maybe somebody else did, but he's not afraid of it. Maybe you have all the control over it. Maybe you have no control over it, but he's not afraid of it today. He's not afraid of your hurt and your pain and your guilt and your shame. He's not afraid of that. He's not afraid to walk with you through death. And he's not afraid to walk with you through sickness. He's not afraid of that. He's not afraid to walk with you through the loneliest of days. He's not afraid to walk through anything with you because that's what he come for. Not God with us at church. Not God with us when we got the energy to sing the songs the right way. Not God with us when we got the faith that makes sense. Not God with us when we wear the right clothes and we check the right boxes. But God with us in every moment, every single day. That's what he came for. He said, I come to be God with you, Emmanuel. You can write it on, you can write it on the letters today. I am Emmanuel, God with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I just want you to hear today, if you don't hear anything else, maybe everything feels like it's falling apart, but Jesus will be with you. And maybe everything will keep falling apart. But Jesus will be with you. God with us. There's majesty today in the mess. When Jesus is in our story. Let's pray.